Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curve, broadcasting live on the Heritage Radio Network. This is your host, Greg Blaze, and on today's show, I'm very excited to have Mariki Prenterman of Holland's Family Farm on the line. How are you today, Mariki? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for asking. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And for those of you who don't know Mariki the person, I'm sure very many of you have tried Mariki the cheese, Mariki Gouda. <laughs> Uh, which has taken home multiple national and international awards since the first batch was made in 2006. Mariki herself just won the Wisconsin Outstanding Young Farmer Award in January and was the first female to win the award. I wanted to say congratulations. That's a great accomplishment, and you are so very deserving of it. Um, I'd love to start off by asking you how you came to be a farmer and cheesemaker in Wisconsin, if you could share with us. <laughs> yeah, um, I can do that. Um, mostly when I start talking, people ask me, uh, I get two questions. One yeah. question is, uh, where are you from? Um, and then I always say very proudly, I'm from Thorpe, Wisconsin. Yeah. And I get that look, well, like that accent doesn't belong with Thorpe. <laughs> um, so then the next question is, well, um, I say, well, I'm from Holland. So yeah. what brought you to Holland is then mostly the second question. Yeah. So then I uh, will tell them this little um, story between me and my husband. Uh, we met many years ago. I was doing an internship in Canada, and he and his brother were in Canada looking for a dairy farm because both brothers wanted to farm, but Holland is very small. Holland fits about five times in the state of Wisconsin, yes, it and does. we have about 16 million people versus the five million in Wisconsin. So for them, it was a reason to go abroad and look for other opportunities as it was very small in Wisconsin, uh, in, in Holland. So um, I met him in Canada, but yeah. uh, and I thought he was cute right away. That's great. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he was dating somebody, uh. and I didn't know. It was just for a month or so. But anyway, we kept in contact by email. So once in a while, we would uh, uh, shoot each other an email. And so then he sent me this email, and he says, Marika, we found this beautiful farm in Thorpe, Wisconsin. If you want to have a cup of coffee with me, you will have to. We'll have to do that quickly because uh, we're going to move to Wisconsin, and then we'll see, we, we will see each other never again. So uh, I, uh, the evening before he left for Thorpe, Wisconsin, I was sitting on his parents' couch drinking a cup of coffee. Uh-huh. Nothing happened, but I thought he was still very cute. <laughs> um, and I said to uh, to Rolf, I said, "Hey." Uh, would it be okay if I help you and your brother out for a day or ten on, on a new farm? And I said, oh, yeah, of course, he said. So he left in uh, May 2002, and I came. I booked a flight for August 2002. And I thought if he's going to come and pick me up from the airport, I will tell him right away how cute he is. Oh, there you go. But, but if the brother is going to come and pick me up, then the feeling is probably not <sighs> mutual. I will do my job, and I will fly back to Holland oh, right away. Oh, wow. So um, guess who picked me up, Craig? 
I believe I can. I, I believe I know who picked you up. I believe that. <laughs> well, it was it was the brother. I, who I know me that. Up, I know so. that. But I wanted you to say it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was quite a bummer. But, uh, but luckily, I, we had ten days to figure figure it still out before I left for. I usually have had a lot less than ten days to figure that kind of thing out. So so, <laughs> you, so, you, so you had a, you had a goodly amount of time. Yes, we did. And um, apparently he's not so good on the road, just like I am. That's why we have a GPS in our car. <laughs> he would have never found the airport, I think. And so um, it all worked out anyway. Um, so that was my beginning. Uh, it took me a year and a half before I did finally move over to Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, and then uh, um, we have five children. We do things very quickly. Wow. Uh, but after the first two were born, they're twins, um, I was just starting to miss, um, I was starting with, with all respect, I just couldn't get used to the cheddar and Kobe yet, uh-huh. and um, and it's also, well, uh, it was more the, the process, processed cheeses um, that we got in our stores here. Um, now I found some beautiful, wonderful, loving cheddars and Kobe, but at the time I really uh, was missing our Gouda also, uh-huh. and I always asked family and friends if they could bring over, over cheese from Holland, and that's what they did. Um, but due to um, uh, custom restrictions, you know, they, they first you could have two suitcases and then just one, and then uh, the weight of the suitcase became less and less. Yeah. So there was less and less room for for us to bring our cheese for along. For wheels of gouda um, to fit in your suitcase. Yes. <laughs> so um, so we got a we got a little supply shortage of gouda cheese in our refrigerator. And then one evening, one night, I was tossing and turning because uh, I also wanted to start my own business before I turned 30. You all, well, we all have probably some milestones in our sure, lives. Certainly. And one of it that I, I really wanted to start my own business or with my husband before I turned 30. And the clock was ticking. So I'm tossing and turning, and I hear a cow because we were living on the farm, and uh-huh. I heard one of the cows having a calf. And I'm like, that's it. We have the good Wisconsin milk. I want to start my own business. And we have a supply shortage of Gouda cheese. I should start trying that to make myself my own Gouda cheese. So I woke up my husband and I told him, hey, honey, I think what we should do. I know, I think that I know that we should do. And uh, I said, I think we should we should try to make our own Gouda. <laughs> and like every good husband, he says, yes, dear. That's a wonderful idea. Let's talk about that tomorrow. So he turned around and fell asleep, and my, my wheels were starting to spin. Sure. Um, then I came in contact with a wonderful organization called DBIC, Dairy Business Innovation Center. And um, uh, they help people with a, with a farmstead idea like, like we had. And um, so I, I knocked on their doors, and they were the ones that told me that I had to go and get my cheesemaker's license. So um, that's what I did because I think I think Wisconsin is the only state on planet Earth that requires a cheesemaker's uh-huh. license. <laughs> um, at that time, it was kind of a bummer, but uh, um, now I see the importance of it too, and it was very helpful um, to know why how. Do you, uh, because we, why do you see it to be ahead. so important? Um, because especially well, I I didn't grow up in a cheese making family. My parents are dairy farmers. Yeah. And um, yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea how much work cheese making was. <laughs> yeah. 
So all the regulations and, and the science that goes behind it and all the different cheeses, how they all are made different and how cultures can influence the, the, um, the outcome out of it and um, yeah, you, the sanitation that comes along sure. with it. When, when you started to, to make cheese and you wanted to make uh, Gouda or Gouda uh, because you thought there was a lack of it in Wisconsin, um, did it was it interesting to you um, all of the culture and science that goes behind making the Gouda taste exactly like it does, the one, that, one that's uh, from Holland and yours, did you want it to taste like that or to be a representation yes. of that? You wanted, to, you wanted it to taste like the stuff you had at home. Yes, yes. I wanted to make an authentic... Uh, Dutch Gouda, like like we would make it in Holland. Um, so I I also came in contact with a, um, a cheese equipment company from Holland yeah. um, that custom made for us an, um, our first cheese fat. It was a fifteen hundred liter, so almost a four hundred gallon, three hundred ninety six gallon cheese fat uh, that they custom made and got shipped over from Holland. Um, I also. Um, um, uh, was able to get Dutch cultures yeah. into Wisconsin, so we use Dutch cultures, and uh, we use half of our herbs are from Holland also. Because you uh, have some cheeses with the fenugreek some. in it and things like that, so you got those. Uh, you mean the herbs that you put inside of your cheese? You want it to be Dutch as well? Yeah. Oh wow. Yes, a lot of stuff. We we have as much as possible. We tried, but we use the good Wisconsin milk. Um, yeah. We, but we just wanted to have a different. Uh, uh, flavor to it. Well, try to get a really close to that Dutch flavor. Yeah. Um, not that we don't have good products here in Wisconsin. No, but it's different. I, I just wanted to something unique. Yeah. So, so uh, a few weeks ago, we did a we did a series about cheese research and development process, and we spoke with a couple of cheesemakers like about how they selected the breed of cow and taking into account their local geography and the climate, and how that eventually that affected the styles of cheese they made. So, what was your process for choosing the breeds of cow you raise, or were they already chosen for you? And the, did that affect the cheeses you know that you now you produce? You, what kind of what kind yeah. of cows you use? I know you said you have that good Wisconsin milk. What kind of good Wisconsin cows do you have? Um, I, I truly believe in a good begin product. Um, uh, for me, well, the, the cows were already chosen. Uh, we, um, the first, um, let's say, the first seven years, we were at, at a different location. We were in a partnership with my husband's brother, um, and we were using then the farm's milk. Um, there were only, there was 100% Holstein cows. Uh-huh. Uh, we just recently um, switched to a better location. We're close to the highway. We have a uh, great uh, visibility. Uh, we also have better expanding uh, um, expansion uh, opportunities sure. here uh, because we just outgrew our old location. Uh, and now we, uh, my husband's brother continued at the old farm, so we had to look at to a new farm, uh, so with new cows. And we found a beautiful herd, um, and our herd now, our current herd exists. One-third of it is a Holstein breed, one-third is a brown Swiss, and then the other one-third is a mixture between the brown Swiss and the Holsteins. Um, we found out that um, the brown Swiss um, do have a little bit higher fat and protein, uh, not much more because you can do a lot with feed, how you feed the cows. Sure. And um, so, and these cows are all get fed, so it's a mixed-in herd. It's it's not that we only take milk from the brown Swiss or only from the Holstein. Um, 
But for some reason, the the milk from the, the we started on February seventeenth, uh, two thousand fourteen was the first batch of this new herd, and the milk uh, sets different. So when we added the rennet, it it um, coagulated quickly. Um, uh, it all it just sets different, and the milk seems more uh, yellower too. Um, and I don't think that's due to the uh, fat component, but I really think that brown fish has a yellower component to the milk also. What so is that? It, it's been, I don't know why, it's maybe a different breed. Um, yeah, it, it, it does, com- uh, maybe the molecules in it, I, I, I don't know. But I, you notice yeah. a different milk, you notice something different about it. About it. Yes, yes, and we were, um, it, 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 it tastes creamier also. So I, I do truly believe in, in different breeds that will create different um, milk. Um, yeah, so did that change your process to the old location? So the the oh, ground is about the same, but uh-huh. yeah, that can affect the milk a lot too. But your process, your cheese making uh, process, did, and when you noticed that you had you had different milk, did it affect your process? Did you have to? You said it's set differently. Uh, did you have to adjust to the cultures that you used or the processes that you used to make the cheese in order to keep the end product consistent? Yeah, well, what we did is we just adjusted the rennet a little bit. So we used a little bit less rennet. Uh, but for the rest, it's still the same cultures and the same uh, process that we do. Uh, Gouda is a water-washed curd. Um, and, um, yeah, we, we still have the same way of making it. Um, but I think that the milk, um, the different milk makes it a little bit more creamier. Cool. Uh, yeah. gonna, I want a bit of anecdotal uh, like uh, thing to say to you. Then we're going to have to take a short break. But I remember when you were first introducing your cheeses in, uh, I think, 2007 or so. And I've told this story to some friends of mine. And we were working – you were working with what was then the Cheese Works West out at the um, – we were at a, the Moscone Center. And I believe you were very – you were very, very, very pregnant um, with one child. I don't know which child it was. Um, but I remember working with you and you were sampling your cheese and some of the first cheese. And you looked at me and you were like – can excuse me? I have to go to the to the bathroom. Can you do this? And I I started sampling out your cheese, and I noticed that you were gone for a while. And Steve, the owner of the cheese work, said, "So where did Mariki go?" And I said, "She went to the bathroom." And then for about like three or four minutes, I was wondering um, if me or one of the ladies that was working at the cheese booth with us was possibly going to have to go into the bathroom at the Moscone Center to deliver a child. But then you reappeared. <laughs> do you remember that? Do you remember that? <laughs> <That's a> wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and I was very relieved because I liked you very much from the moment I met you, but I didn't know if I was going to be able to get that done for you um, without knowing you a little better. <laughs> oh yeah well i did uh, uh luckily i uh did had it in wisconsin when i was back in wisconsin <laughs> um, and i just had it in a hospital so good stuff i'm sure that was better for everyone involved <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay. i got the specialist involved yes fantastic um, all righty well, we're gonna have to take a short break but when we come back we'll continue talking with maria k penterman of holland's family farm
The Dairy Farm families of Wisconsin and the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board are proud to underwrite Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Wisconsin cheeses have an illustrious heritage of more than 170 years of quality and craftsmanship. During this long and rich history, the art and science of cheesemaking have been captured in time-honored traditions that produce cheese varieties of unsurpassed excellence. Today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international-style, and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit www.eatwisconsincheese.com. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd, broadcasting live on the Heritage Radio Network. Uh, before the break, we were talking with Marike Penterman of Holland's Family Farm in Wisconsin about how she came to be a cheesemaker and about how maybe I also um, almost had to deliver a child for her, which is uh, more my story than hers. <laughs> um, as some of you listeners may know, April 18th is the first annual Raw Milk Cheese Appreciation Day. Uh, you can learn more about the festivities on the Cheese of Choice Coalition website. And we're going to be doing a special episode next week to honor the day. Uh, Mariki, you're also participating in that day, correct? Correct, yes. So what will you be doing on that day? Uh, we have some specials going on in the store. Uh, we uh, just talked about this morning, too, how we would like uh, to get the word out a little bit more. So we're going to contact our uh, local uh, vendors, see if they want to help us spread the word and... Uh, yeah, so we'll we'll do social media and uh, running specials. So we hope to spread word because we are a true believer in the raw milk. Um, I believe because um, all our cheeses are raw milk, so we hold them at least for sixty days. And I think this is a wonderful, um, wonderful way to uh, put some more positive light, shine some positive light on on raw milk products. Yeah. So how important? I mean, you make amazing raw milk cheese. Um, how important? to you in the beginning was it to make a raw milk cheese um yeah so um um i think with pasteurization um we kill we kill the bad bacteria um uh, but we also take take the good bacteria away um that does affect our immune system i think um yeah, it's better for our immune system to boost our immune system but there are a lot of healthy uh things going on but pasteurization you damage also the molecules and i think if you don't do that the the, mo- the molecule is whole and your body digests it so much better sure we have people working in our store that uh, actually their cholesterol went down after <laughs> starting working at our place so um again I, th- I think our body digests it so much better um we're getting so uh, our immune system getting so fragile sometimes you know um I know there's a lot of people that 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 have their concerns about raw milk, but I think if we if you have a good begin product that is then it's safe, you know, to to use it. If you're not used to it, you have to slowly introduce that back sure. to your uh, daily um, um, diet. Um, so it's not like well, and if you don't want to do it, it's fine too. But I, I I still believe there's a there's a there's there could be there that there are safe products again, um, a good begin product, and that's why with us. We um, we milk our own own cows, and then we milk them five from five o'clock in the morning, one o'clock in the afternoon, and nine o'clock in the evening. Uh, we use the milk straight from the cow. So five o'clock when the cows get milked, that milk goes straight into our cheese fat, and then we make it within five hours into cheese. 
that milk is still so warm from the cow's body temperature when it comes in our, yeah. in our cheese fat, so it's very fresh. I agree. What you said um, just before is important. I, I, I just feel, uh, just as a human being, that we, we seem to be pulling away from things that are simple, um, and food yeah. seems to be coming a, becoming a lot less simple in our world. Uh, but cheese is so simple and wonderful, and uh, why anyone or anyone would why anyone would legislate against uh, the beautiful product that is raw milk uh, when there are people like you that take such care to turn it into wonderful cheeses beyond me and uh, that's um a one for one reason because I love it and it tastes better to me uh, yeah. but two it is better for you um, and it's important for your for what you said about pasteurization and what it does to the milk. I'm not a dairy scientist. I'm a I'm a decent cheesemonger, but not a good scientist. But I do know um, a little bit about the pasteurization product. And if you take away um, so the milk or anything's ability to defend itself against pathogens, that's not good, um, including ours. So um, those people who you feed all that nice raw milk to in your store are getting healthier because their immune system is being, you know, um, yeah, is being forced, forced to yeah. do its job, which is good. That's why you know, that's why it gave it to us. Um, and uh, that's uh, and most of the, but a lot. I feel like a lot of the gout in, in Holland is isn't raw anymore either, right? A lot of the a lot correct. Of, You're right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It used to be that uh, um, if you were not making a raw milk product from your own well as a farmstead creamery, if you didn't use if you would pasteurize your milk, you had to call it like um, a co- commodity cheese, right. you know. Uh, you had to have, have it do it uh, raw milk, otherwise you were not entitled to call it a farmstead cheese, even though you made it on your own farm. But that's how supportive they were. Um, but it does seem like um, they are pasteurizing more and more. And, um, and and that's a little bit sad to see, I think. But um, uh, So I think this is a great... Um, way trying to promote the, the raw milk cheeses again and raw milk products and um, yeah I, I fully support that um, what did I want to say we do at our end is that um, we have 60 days yeah. and in those 60 days we cannot sell it anyway so um, this is uh, totally voluntarily but we, we cut a piece out, out of every batch that we make so not every wheel but every batch that we make and we um, uh, we send it into the to the laboratorium uh, for, to test for salmonella, listeria, E. coli, and uh, Staph aureus, just to make sure that when it leaves, it's really safe. Um, so because we, we don't want to get anybody sick either, you know, that would hurt us as a company. And, of course. and anybody that deals with raw milk, they have the best intention to, to uh, provide the customer a very safe product. That's another, uh, and, th- and that's another reason and why, and, uh, and, and there have been issues that I've been hearing um, about why it might be important to be certified as a cheesemaker if you're going to work with a product like that, like raw milk. Yeah. You need to know how to handle it, um, and you need to know, you need to know that, uh, you know, to test for those things that um, that being that the milk is so alive that those cultures might be alive in it, no matter how safe you know you are and clean you know you are, it's still good to send in the check because that keeps the little thing that you're trying to support, which is raw milk cheese, alive and well. Yeah. Yeah, because if we would do something bad, it doesn't even give. It's not only giving us a bad name, but it gives the whole industry a bad name, and that's why people are often reluctant to, even though it's maybe just five uh, percent of what what represent the the whole um, um, industry. 
uh, that 5% is, is giving such a negative effect that it seems like there's a lot of bad stuff. But in reality, well, there, there are a lot of safe raw milk products. I, I totally believe. Yes. So. Got to keep doing, keep doing the good work. Um, so last week, Diane Stemple, who uh, does all the book reviews, she interviewed the Heritage Radio Network's founder, Patrick Martins, about his book, The Carnivore's Manifesto, uh, which is about eating meat, obviously. But it brings up important issues that are relevant to being a dairy farmer, and that's part of what you just told me. I would love it if you could just talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on animal welfare issues and whether you know happy cows really do make better cheese. <laughs> Yes, I would love to. I uh, I love our cows. I think I'm. I um, cows are my first passion. I always say um, when people come into our barn, and I and that's I I love the fact that we have that great opportunity that uh, when we move to this new location, uh, we really had in mind that we would love to show people what we do on our farm, um, and how cow comfort is our number one concern. Cow comfort. Um, the cow comfort. I like yeah. it. <laughs> Um, because good good cows uh, produce uh, well cows that are feeling comfortable and uh, they 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 produce a good product and that's what we need to make into a wonderful um, cheese product. So uh, when people come to our farm, they will see that we even have rotating cow brushes. Yeah, uh, what they do is as soon as the cow touches them, uh, the the cow brush starts to rotate them, and you will see cows, they will do a whole scratching, massaging thing. Man, I they need a cow comfort brush massage right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, sometimes I get a comment from a, um, the first lady that ever commented on it was, oh, I, I need one for my husband so I don't have to scratch his back all the time. So That's um, great. Yeah. And if you look at those cows, they, they so enjoy it. Um it makes them feel comfortable, and they, they will produce better. We have a um, sprinkle system. Uh, sprinkle system means that in very warm days, uh, there's uh, some sprinkles of water coming to cool the cow off. Um, nice. Then we have a ventilator that blows the air around. Uh, our cows are um, mainly inside, and the reason for that is that in, in Wisconsin, there are not many days suitable for a cow to be outside. I love to see a cow outside, but the reality is that if there is not enough shade and there is not water close by for the cow, um, that the cow is better off in our barn where there is shade, where uh, we have the ventilators to cool them off, uh, where they have water very close by to drink and they don't have to walk a mile to, to get the water. Um, feed is very close by. And our barn is a freestyle barn, so that means that a cow walks freely around in her pen and uh, has access to water, and we have sand bedding, so that's as close as possible you can get to nature, uh, where the cows can lay down whenever they want, um, and they're very comfortable. Um, when people walk through a barn, it's very cool, because um, the reality is also when, they, when we, we ask them to produce a high quality of milk, and when, you, when a cow does that, it's just like us running a marathon. And then we produce all this heat around us, and that's for the cow the same. And in order for a cow to feel comfortable, we have to get rid of that heat around her. Sure. So that's where the ventilators comes in and the sprinkle system. So um, winter time, cows love winter time because it keeps them cool and it makes them well when they run that engine. Uh, it cools that engine off. Um, so it's mostly the farmer that is cold and not the cow. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's me. Yeah. So now is all of Wisconsin better for that? Because I, I seem to recall when I went to visit um, 
at uh, Andy Hatch's farm in, in Uplands Dairy that a lot of his cows were outdoors. And when I talked to him about making cheese, he didn't mention to me anything about that. Is it is it all of Wisconsin that you think is uh, is tough for the cows to be outside all the time? Well, I don't know. I've never been to Andy, and I'm sure um, he has the best interest for his cows also. I do know that our pastures don't have enough trees to uh, right. uh, give them enough shade to be comfortable outside. And, again, everybody has a different way of farming. Absolutely. And this way of farming is the more, more suitable for us. Um, we, people come and cuddle with our cows. We have wow. very cuddly cows. Um, yeah, and um, this morning my son came in, my son of five years old, Finn, uh-huh. He came in and said, Mom, I gave my head to the cow. The cow was cold. So that's how cuddly our cows are. Oh, my. <laughs> and they sent me a picture. Our herd manager sent me a picture, Craig. And, um, and he showed how Finn put the head on the cow. So the cow <laughs> is running around right now in the barn with the head from my son, Finn. <laughs> I'd like to move out of my apartment in Astoria and just get 30 days rehab with, like, the massager and the, and the uh, cool barn. And uh, I don't think I can give you any milk, but I can at least wander around oh. on all fours out there. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. so yeah, animal welfare so is obviously we, really we important. That's and we want to show people that too. So. Oh, I'm, you, I'm sure. I mean, your cheese is amazing. I, um, I have time. I wanted to ask you one more question. Um, would you ever consider making anything other than your gouda? Are you looking at any other cheeses you're going to make for us? Well, I love the fact that milk is so diverse, so I would love to make some time in the future. First, I want to still concentrate on the Gouda, but I would love to show people, showcase people what we all can do with milk. We make butter, we make yogurt, we make ice cream, uh, fluid milk, chocolate milk, uh, cheeses, all kinds of varieties. So I, I think that's so wonderful. Milk is such an in, incredible product uh, that we can make so many different things of it. So if I ever get the opportunity, I would love to make more products and show people what you all can do with it. So we make our home, uh, we have homemade yogurt that we eat at home, and uh, and I think it's a wonderful yogurt, so I would love someday maybe to make it. But for now, we'll still concentrate on the, on the Marika Gouda. Yeah, I mean, and your demand has gone up too. I'm sure. I mean, you had to switch farms once, and you have said you give yourself growth for more. So, it's not like you don't have enough. Uh, you know, it's not like it's not like you have a uh, not not a want for the cheese that you're making. You know, and I mean, it's hard. Mm-hmm. You, you guys, uh, it's hard to even get the older cheese for for those of us who live far yeah. away from you. You know, we um, we beg, we beg the people who have it, but um, I, you know, I'm and we're very happy when we do get it. Well, I want to say thank yeah. you so much uh, for coming on the show. It was a pleasure talking to you today, and it's always nice to talk to you, uh, Mariki. Um, for all of you out there, be sure. Oh, I'm sorry. What were you going to say? No, I want to thank you too, Greg, for supporting our product. It's because of our customers that we were able to, to grow the way we do, and, and we hope to welcome a lot of people at our new location and, and that people will look for us. So we all we're very grateful for all the support that we get. Now you make the good stuff. So for all of you out oh, there, be sure you. to check out the uh, our Instagram, Cutting the Curd, for a behind-the-scenes look at Cutting the Curd. And be sure to tune in next week for a special episode with Brad Jones of the Cheese of Choice Coalition and Jeannie Carpenter of the Cheese Underground blog. Bye, Marike. Take care, people. Bye-bye. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. 
You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.